This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our September 11th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. And uh, it's quite the momentous, uh, I guess, day for all of us. Uh, definitely not in a bad way. Uh, for me, it's my birthday. So, uh, you know, 17 years ago was that infamous day. Uh, and that was actually, I was in college at the time. Uh, pretty impactful day, I think, for all of us. And, uh, it's always been, everyone remembers my birthday, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, but I'm happy to be here today filling in for Steve Peasley. And the market has certainly been interesting lately. And August finished very strong, yet there could be pattern changes ahead. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, remember, our goal here on Invest Talk is to make you an above average investor. To make that happen, you have to listen and hopefully participate. And the way you do that is by going and calling our anytime listener line. It is open right now at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. It's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. And I always say, try to make that call sooner rather than later. Now, before I get into the various topics I will touch on in today's program, I do want to put out a quick reminder here. A message for all our listeners in Northern California. Steve and I are very happy with turnout for Steve's one-on-one portfolio review appointments in San Jose last month. In fact, the response was so strong that Steve's returning on October 3rd, just in a few more weeks, so he can sit down with you, look at your portfolio, suggest ways to make it more efficient and effective. So to mark that date, it's October 3rd, and there's no cost to meet with Steve, just register in advance through investtalk.com. Now, what are we planning to talk about today? Well, I'm going to run down some of my highlighted topics on a f- in a few minutes, but I will tease I'll tease you now with this. There is such a thing as a roadmap for getting yourself out of credit card debt, and I'll explain soon. And the top of the show, uh, and I'll uh, you know shop top of the show story. I'll explain how to do that. But first, let's find out what came to mind, what's coming to mind to one of our listeners. We have a live caller. We're going to talk to Kevin in Berkeley. He's looking at M-I-K, that is Michael's, correct? Yes, hi, Justin. I, I have a related two-part question. Uh, one, okay. I always hear, I hear you guys talking about trading sideways, so I want to know what exactly that means, how I can determine if a stock is trading sideways. And then second, does M-I-K, I've, I've been monitoring for the last couple of days, and I wanted to know if in your opinion, it has been trading sideways. Well, trading sideways is relative. Uh, it depends on what time frame you're looking at. Sideways tends to be in a range. Uh, that range could be fairly narrow. The, tr- the range could be fairly wide. Uh, it depends on the time frame you're looking at, the, the stock and how volatile it generally is. So when you say trading sideways, it's just trading in a range over a period of time. And usually that means consolidation. Uh, and usually a consolidation means that it's building power for a continuation of the previous move. So if the previous move was down and it's chopping around and trading sideways, 
it tends to continue in that same direction when it finally breaks out of that trading sideways pattern and vice versa. If its last move is up, it's probably continuation uh, for a move higher and consolidation for a move higher. So uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes more sense. So how do you determine the range then? Well, you see where it's been trading over the past week, month, uh, year. It just depends. Like I said, a time frame could be trading sideways for years. Stocks could be trading in a range for two, three, four years. So uh, it's not. There's nothing that says, "Oh, it has to be this uh, type of range or type of time frame." Uh, the longer the time frame, the more it's trading in a consolidation pattern, shall I say? And that's what I say: trading in a range. The more important it is, the more impactful it is, the more powerful that next move is going to be. Got it. That makes sense. So, are you able to do that with a stock like Michaels? Or it sounds like it depends. Well, it's let's let's take a look at it. Uh, and if you're watching our YouTube live stream, I, stream I am pulling up a chart of Michaels. M I K is the symbol, and we actually recently purchased this for uh, one of our strategies. And it is a definitely an undervalued company. It's trading at a P of just eight. And one thing we love about it is that they're repurchasing about $500 million worth of their common stock. And at a six, about a $3 billion market cap right now, you're talking about 20% of its float. So it is a company that is utilizing these low prices, I think, to its advantage. Uh, now, would I say it's been trading in a range? Well, it was trading in uh, a range from, I'd say, March up until this recent drop lower uh, from about 20 all the way down to about 16 and now we're rebounding to about 17 38 at the close today so you know it, it broke to the, the downside of that range but many times that break down to the downside can reverse rather quickly and if it does that's a pretty bullish sign um, so it was consolidating bearishly it broke down but many times, uh, if it's uh, strong enough support and the valuation's good, and a company like this who's buying back shares, it could easily bounce back. And I think that's what we're seeing. So we like Michaels uh, from a valuation perspective. Could it go a little lower? Possibly, but uh, we like it. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Now I have some information that I think is going to make you happy, especially if you've been worried about any of the lingering credit card debts you may have. And there is a road map for getting yourself out of credit card debt. And we found this story on usnews.com. If, if you have credit card debt, you could have two problems. First, you have the debt, and that's stressful. Second, there's likely been damage to your credit score, especially if you miss payments or uh, you're using a large percentage of your balances. So here are six steps to take after maxing out your credit cards. One is to embrace reality. And it takes courage to stare down that debt and admit that you're in trouble. Whether you're in debt due to impulsive buys or the result of a divorce or unemployment or maybe medical bills, it takes multiple steps. You're not going to fix your problem overnight. And this is a good, it's also a good time to think about how you got into that debt. And if you have did it because of medical reasons, obviously that's tough. If 
you did it because you're a shopaholic, then you need to look at why that's happening. Why are you overspending? Why are you spending recklessly? Could point to emotional issues you need to address, something deeper. And if you don't fix those, then you're going to continue to have the same problems. So number two, step two is stop using all credit cards. Cut them all up. Live off of your month-to-month income. And maybe that means selling your car and moving to a cheaper car. Maybe that means selling your house even and moving to a cheaper house or apartment. And then consider credit counseling. And then step three is set yourself up for success. And this comes down to creating a personal finance foundation. You can build a house on a, a, you can't build a house on a shaky foundation and in personal finance a shaky foundation leads to all kinds of problems including debt. So create a budget and start monitoring where your money goes and keep a portion of that to pay down the debts that you have. And so uh, those are the first three steps and we're going to get to the next three steps tomorrow. And rather than rush through it, and I'll stop uh, stop right there. Now, tomorrow in part two, I'll pick up on steps four, five, and six. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or even Google Play. Then please rate and review. Your comments allow us to improve our Invest Talk programming. Our Monday show is off to a good start, and we st- we're still taking your questions. So give us a call at 888 chart. Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. We are now into the second week of September, and if you can find a few free minutes to invest in the task of improving your portfolio's performance, head over to investtalk.com. You can read all about the many strategic investing programs offered to clients of KPP Financial. And while you're there, be sure to take the Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. Justin's here, the phone lines are open, And he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Now, today's main talking point is about high earners living in high-tax states, such as here in California. And can they find a defensive posture? We'll talk about some strategies to minimize the impacts of taxes on high-earning individuals. Also, time permitting, I want to talk about a market that is having some trouble and why that is, and I'm talking about a housing market, and uh, this is a market where existing home sales fell 36.6% year over year in August. It's a pretty big drop, and that's a 25% below their 10-year average of August sales. So that'll be an interesting topic. Then I'm going to get into the Ten Commandments of Retirement. Ten, ten, ten ways that you can think about retirement and have the right mindset going in. And then lastly, if we have time, EBITDA. What is EBITDA? Earnings for interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. What does it mean? What is, you're going to hear that a lot uh, through your investment career. You need to understand the pros, the cons, and the rationale behind that metric. Now let's take a quick look at the market today. It was a modest up day 
uh, we started off lower. Uh, futures were lower before the open, and we really rallied most of the day. Uh, I believe the NASDAQ had the, the biggest move higher, uh, especially compared to the open, and really saved the index, the, the NASDAQ 100, from breaking below its trend line. Uh, trend line. It's kind of hanging on, uh, frankly, by, I don't say by thread, but certainly hanging on to that trend line uh, since the market bottomed kind of in April and been a stair step higher. Uh, you've seen some relative weakness from a lot of the big cap names, and that's really what's been driving the market. You know, Amazon was a half a trillion dollar company not that long ago, half, yeah, half a trillion dollar company not that long ago, now it's a trillion dollar company. Did their business change dramatically from a year ago? Not really. Um, so it's just a lot of money going into the the, the large cap names, high flyers, uh, tech names, and that's really been why the market, the, the, at least the, the major indexes overall, have been so strong over the past six months or so. If you look at the ACWI, the all-world index, we're about flat on the year. So uh, if you are, don't feel too bad about yourself. Now let's get to a question that came in earlier on our Anytime line at 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, again, really appreciate your show and all the information I'm getting. I have another question for you. I do not really understand how ETFs are tax advantaged over mutual funds. I know that they are, but I can't quite wrap my head around it. And I was wondering if you had a simple explanation for me, and I thought it might be an interesting topic. So thanks a lot. Okay, great question. So let me explain why there are tax implications for mutual funds. Okay, so when you have a mutual fund, you have people that own the mutual fund, and there, uh, at the end of each day, there are shares that are redeemed, meaning sold, and shares that are created, meaning purchased, right? And to create or redeem those shares, uh, they need to go out and buy or sell assets within their portfolio, right? The the mutual funds are just a large portfolio of assets, and when they do that, they create capital gains if they're taking gains on positions. Whereas an ETF, there's, uh, I'll try to simplify, but basically they're not actually trading the shares. They're creating um, kind of a proxy. Uh, so they're not doing nearly as much trading as a mutual fund. Doesn't mean they won't, but they're not doing nearly as much trading. So I hope that helps. 888 chart I want to hear from you. Give us a call anytime. This is Invest Talk. Please make sure you subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then listen, rate, and review. Oh, and here's a save the date reminder. On October 3rd, Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose to conduct personalized, no cost portfolio reviews. You can register now at investtalk.com. Okay. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin is here. He'll have unbiased answers. So call now, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Steve in Oakland. You want to talk about Vodafone. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Yes, I want to talk about Vodafone. It's uh, it's basically a global communications service provider. It's uh, uh, NASDAQ ticker V. 
O-D. And I've noticed that the stock has endured a painful 35% wind down so far this year. So I think it might be pretty unjustly undervalued. And it has an 8.23% dividend, and it seems to have hit a 52-week low. So I'd love to get your, your, your take on it. Yeah, it's it's definitely off its high. It was in fourteen, and it traded as high as uh, almost forty dollars a share, right? Actually, and uh, yeah, forty dollars and change, and now it's uh, about twenty. So it's about down fifty right. percent just in the last few years. Uh, a lot of that has to do. Uh, with, there's three main factors. One is the strong dollar. That's certainly been the main driver over the past six months or so. The Brexit, right? This is a UK-based telecom company, so there's certainly uncertainty there. Uh, it's going to affect their business to some degree. How much? I don't know the complexities of their business to really speak to that, but I'm sure there's some uh, effect there. Uh, and then you have interest rates rising, and this is, tends to be a dividend payer, and dividend payers tend to sell off when interest rates rise. So you have three main factors that are driving this stock lower, along with the business isn't doing that great. Earnings were $4.33 back in 2012. 2018, they're only supposed to make $1.58. Next year, 2019, they're only supposed to make $1.67 in 2020. So their business is certainly deteriorating, and I want to know why that is. Now, they're a UK-based provider of digital wireless voice and data services to 216 million mobile customers in 26 countries. Pretty diversified, right? 26 different countries. I would imagine 26, uh, well, maybe not 26 different currencies, but definitely multiple currencies, I would imagine. And uh, their debt levels are, are not too bad. 48% debt to equity ratio. Operating earnings yields only 8.6, and they're yielding 8.26. So their dividend yield looks to be in jeopardy especially if the earnings estimates of going from $1.58 this year to 67% cents, sorry, in two years comes to fruition, they're going to have to cut that dividend. Are you looking at that dividend? Are you trying to count on that? Are you Is that what you're attracted you to Vodafone? Yeah, that's probably the main reason why I was attracted to it. I've been following it for the past three weeks, and, and obviously it's it's 35% down since so far this year but you do make a good point uh, in terms of revenues for projected for the next year hmm. yeah and and this is a foreign company so oftentimes and i don't know what this vodafone schedule is i have to look it up but uh, typically they don't pay quarterly like your normal dividend paying american con companies do right they tend to pay every six months or sometimes just once a year so consider that as well. That yeah, based on the X dividend in June was the last time they they had they went X. Do they go? I, I don't see a future one, uh, which tells me that this is at best a, a one that pays every six months and maybe one that pay, only pays every year. So look for that as well. Okay, Justin. I'll definitely look in terms of the pay schedule for the dividend. That's something that I really should consider. Thanks. Yeah, and, and I would not. I don't love it, especially if you're just after going after that dividend. Thanks for the call. That was Vodafone. V O D is the symbol. Now our main talking point today is about how a high income earners in high tax states, like here in California, can find ways to reduce their 
payment to the government. Nobody likes to pay money to the government. And there are limited ways that you can really avoid that. Uh, now, obviously, you can contribute to a 401k. And your max there is uh, 18500 If you're over the age of 50, maybe that goes up to tw uh, another 6000 on top of that. So there's something you, you uh, certainly want to take advantage of if you can. One other option that you should probably explore is to turn yourself into a self-employed employee, right? So instead of being a salaried employee, maybe be a 1099 employee. See if your employer will allow you to do that. And if you do, and if you are treated as self-employed, you could create what is called a solo 401k plan. This is for self-employed individuals, and you can contribute there in excess of $50,000. Also, another option, a defined benefit pension plan. This depends on your age, and uh, there are uh, cash balance plans that you could potentially put hundreds of thousands of dollars in. Those get very complex, very expensive. It, it may not make sense for you, but it's something you should probably think about. Also, defer some compensation. Maybe you get paid more in stock that you're going to pay down the line. Or maybe it's going to be paid out to you over time as opposed to a large amount in one particular year. Now that also makes you a creditor, so it depends how strong your company is as well. you got to consider that. Then there's real estate. There are some ways you could do that by depreciation, losses, etc. Um, but if you make a lot of money, that can be very difficult. Our podcast continues next. The process of investing is more than just picking stocks. Investing begins with savings, of course, and along the way, there are issues about taxes and then estate planning and on and on. KPP Financial clients have a ready resource of information about any and all of these personal financial matters. All they need to do is ask. Managing your money gets more complex every day, and there are more options than the average person could possibly comprehend. And when we're confronted with too many choices, research shows that people put off decisions, important decisions. Most times, that's not productive. KPP Financial's philosophy is the more their clients know, the more successful they'll be, and the more predictable their future will be. KPP Financial, serving the average investor, helping them find solutions. Now let's continue with the podcast. This is Invest Talk, and thanks to very strong interest in Steve Peasley's no-cost, one-on-one portfolio reviews conducted last month in San Jose, Steve is already scheduled a return date, October 3rd. Remember, meeting with Steve can be the quickest way to improve the performance of your portfolio. Space is limited, so register now at investtalk.com. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here now, and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, five investment tips for beginners who just graduated from college never too soon to start profiting from the tax statuses. Now, that story tomorrow. 
Now let's take a quick question from Jay in Fremont asking about Facebook. Yeah, hi Jay. Uh, sorry, I, hi Justin. I just wanted to know if Facebook is uh, uh, this price is good or should we wait and uh, buy uh, probably a little later. Thank you. Thanks for the call. I do not like Facebook at all. I think their platform uh, engagement is declining uh, from just, I think it's stale. I think it looks old. I, I don't think, uh, I know personally, I don't really get a ton out of it for myself, and I hear that from many people. Uh, There's really saving grace is Instagram, which remains uh, strong from a, a performance standpoint, but most of their earnings are coming from Facebook. Uh, and I think... It's not going to go away, but they have a lot of work to do, not only just not only on the platform, but to regain the trust of of users uh, after you know the the, the debacle or um, whatever you want to call it in relation to the uh, the election, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it certainly shows how much Facebook understands about us, how much data they're sharing, and the privacy issue I think is a major issue, uh, not just for them, but uh, for a, a lot of the social media giants, and I think Facebook is at the forefront, and there's uh, that they're battling with as well as I think regulation will eventually come as well, so I just do not like Facebook at all, even after this drop. Let's go to Mike in San Jose, he's looking at L-I-T-E. Yes, I... I was interested in purchasing on a pullback. I was wondering, you think it's a good value? Well, for everyone out there, this is Lumen, Lumentum Holdings. And this is actually a supplier to, I forget what part it is, but a supplier to the iPhone. They make a certain part. Do you remember which one that is? I think it's something to do with the screen. I, I'm not, I don't know the detail yet. Okay, is it like a face recognition, I want to say? Well, well, the chart, you know, it looks okay. Uh, it certainly rallied from its low back in 2015. It went IPO back then uh, around, what was the IPO price? I'm trying to find it here. I can't find it, but somewhere in the teens. And it is rallied now. It's at $61 cent and 30 cents today. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the earnings going from 23 cents back in 2014 all the way to $4.51 expected to make next year. So uh, fast grower, or a P is only 17, return equity is 32. The debt is still modest, 36% debt to equity ratio. Revenue is up 35% year over year, and earnings per share up 144% year over year. So it's certainly on a nice trajectory. The biggest worry for me is, and the biggest risk, is that uh, the vast majority of their business comes from Apple. And Apple can switch suppliers if they want. They can uh, do it themselves. A lot of their, uh, their ability has been to vertically integrate some of the inputs into the iPhone and their products. So that's a big worry. Operating earnings yield is only 3.77%. Their return equity is 31.6, return invested capital 22. I like those figures. Certainly very, very profitable. And they announced a new iPhone tomorrow. And there's going to be a teardown in a couple weeks. Whether they have um, their products in the iPhone will be interesting. Uh, and it's a high risk for this particular name. Because if 
it's not in the new iPhones, then this stock will drop 20, 30, 40% overnight probably. So be aware of that. Uh, technically, it looks okay. It's very choppy. It's range bound since middle of middle latter part of last year, uh, which could just be consolidation, or it could be the growth petering out. Uh, I, I I don't know, and I I've looked at this, and I don't have a strong conviction either way. And the single supplier makes me worry uh, a little bit about the name, Mike. Okay, thank you, Justin. Thanks for the call, Mike. 88899 chart, 88992 We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, you probably want to do it now. Let's talk a little bit about a housing market that is having a bit of trouble. And when I say a bit, I mean a lot of bit. And that is a market whose home sales, existing home sales, fell 36.6% year over year in August. That's 25% below the 10-year August sales average. And the total number of homes currently listed rose 34.2% year over year. Now you're probably wondering what market is this, and this is Vancouver. So it's not a it's not a U.S. market, but it is a North American market. Uh, there are many Canadian banks that have ties to U.S. banks that are likely going to have problems, and we've. You know, we've, we've been talking about this for a while. We knew this would eventually happen. It was just about timing. And I think there's been a few things. There's been some regulations about who can buy in Vancouver. There's been uh, problems with the Chinese economy, and they were big buyers of Vancouver real estate, uh, Canadian real estate kind of uh, in general, but mainly Vancouver, right, because that's on the West Coast, the closest to China. And you have interest rates going up. And you had a, a panic, uh, or was it earlier this year, with one of the major lenders in uh, Canada. So a very similar problems to what we had back in the mid-2000s. And they just didn't really focus on these problems. And this goes to my uh, broader point of how to look at the next financial crisis. Where is it going to be? And there was a report from a Goldman, Cha Goldman Sachs chief economist and it talked about the private sector balance sheet, which is similar to how the government budget deficit works, but when it comes to companies uh, and how much they're spending and how households are spending in relation to their total savings. And if you look, the economies that are in the most trouble right now, based on the first quarter of 2018, are Canada and the UK. And Canada is in the biggest trouble. Uh, Australians, Australia's a little bit behind that, but really it's focused on Canada. And I think that's where uh, there's the biggest problem in our global financial system. And a lot of money flow from China has been flowing over into Canada for various reasons. Uh, but that has really pushed that housing market up. Uh, there's been loose lending. They had... They, Remember, their banks are more regulated, and so they didn't have the major problems they did in 2000, right? Now that could, could or sorry, to that mid 2000s during our financial crisis, because their banks weren't as leveraged, they didn't have the lending problems that we had. But what's happening now is they're they didn't learn that lesson, right? They didn't 
go through a lot of reforms. They have been reliant, uh, or at least the price movement recently has been reliant on low interest rates and flows from China. And that is starting to reverse on both fronts, and that's why you're seeing problems there. And I think the Canadian economy is in for some trouble. I'm Justin Klein, and you are listening to Invest Talk. There are some simple rules to success that every regular Invest Talk listener has heard Steve and I talk about many times. Rule one is always diversify. You want to limit your investment in any one stock to about three to no more than five percent of tops. And that goes for your employer stock compensation as well. Let's go look at Enron, WorldCom, Tesla today. Right? You don't want to be tying yourself too much to one particular corporation, especially when your paycheck is tied to that corporation. Another rule, do not make emotional decisions, emotional investing decisions. Fear and greed will harm you. And then lastly, it's difficult to time the market. So look for values, understand the underlying businesses and sectors and assets you are investing in. I hope that's a bit of common sense invest talk guidance that helps make you a better investor. The more you listen, the more you learn, the better decisions you will make. The phone lines are open, and the program is always made better by your questions. So please call now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news. It's sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. The cost now through September is only $9 per month. And if you act now, you'll stay ahead of the coming October price increase. Remember, you'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin or Steve. This is Raul from Flowermount calling with regards to Tyson. T, as in Tom. S, N, as in Nancy. Looks like their PE is pretty low at uh, 7.9, and their earning per share is 8.01. Uh, dividends only 1.89, but uh, the price looks good. It's near its 52-week uh, low, and uh, looks like they've acquired a uh, new uh, meat supplier uh, that's supposed to steady their their business. Please uh, take a look at it, and we'd appreciate your input. Thank you, and appreciate all you guys do. All right, he's looking at Tyson Foods. TSN is the symbol, and he's right. They do yield about two percent. And they did buy Keystone Foods business from, um, I can't say the name of the company, but it acquired about $2 billion in cash. Revenues last quarter grew about 2%. Earnings grew 17%. Its return equity is 20%. I like that. Nice and healthy. Depends on what you're looking at. 20, 25%, depending on the time frame you're looking at. 
there, I want to look at a little bit deeper. The P ratio does look low, but I want to look at their operating earnings yield. That's 12.4%. Also very healthy. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 8.5. Like that as well. I like their business. It's anti-cyclical. They don't have too much debt, especially based on their history of earnings. Earnings continue to rise pretty much each and every year. And I like companies that are consistent in that way. So I am a fan of Tyson Foods, TSN, especially after this pullback. 52-week high was about $85 a share. Now we're around $63 a share. Certainly going to be some, or uh, is there going? there's probably going to be some headwinds from tariffs. That might be reason for the sell-off. Got to look into that. But I like the consistency of their business. Tariffs tend to be uh, more of a short-term uh, issue, uh, especially because those things can change and companies can adjust and the supply chains adjust, etc. And they seem to have good management uh, with such a good return on equity, good profitability metrics that uh, show me that the management knows what they're doing. So I like Tyson Foods. Let me look at their payout ratio. Only about 14%. Cash dividend pay ratio, only 21%. Very, very low. Certainly ability to raise that dividend. I like it. I like Tyson Foods. TSN is the symbol. Let's go to Joe in Santa Clara, UNH. Yes. How's it going? Uh, just going have well. a question about UNH. Is, is that a good is that a good way to uh, be defensive? Um, you know, looking forward, I want to be defensive, and I want to know what your thoughts on UNH are. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of UNH at these prices. I think it's very, very expensive. I think the industry uh, is is ripe for disruption uh, because of just how out of control these healthcare plans are. Uh, they, they basic the whole industry basically wrote Obamacare uh, that needs to be overhauled. It's certainly not a sustainable thing when rates are going up five, ten percent per year, uh, sometimes even more. And I, I think the, you've missed the boat. It's gone up way too much. It's way too expensive. And I think it's an industry that is ripe for disruption. And when uh, that starts to build momentum, I think you're going to be in for a world of hurt because I think that's going to change the dynamics of the industry. So uh, the momentum certainly is up, but I don't love it. And to me, it's not an anti-cyclical uh, name. I would be going with something that's more packaged food or uh, something that is more ne necessary. Uh, to your your life, um, and certainly healthcare is. But uh, companies uh, during tougher times they cut back on healthcare benefits, etc. So I'm just not a fan of UNH, especially as an anti-cyclical play. Much appreciated. Thanks for the call, Joe. That was UNH United Health Group. I just think that the industry uh, has issues. It's certainly a, a good company, strong long-term track record, uh, but it's benefited very strongly from Obamacare. Uh, you know, from 2011, it made $4.73 a share. Next year, 2019, it's supposed to make $14.39 a share. Tripled earnings. I just don't think the industry is set for long-term. Something needs to change. 88899 chart, 88992 We're going into the last segment of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then please rate and review. Your comments allow us to improve our Invest Talk programming. Now, our Tuesday show is coming to a close, so give us a call at 88899 chart. 
on the next Invest Talk, five investment tips for beginners who just graduated from college. Justin will have this story tomorrow. And now, Justin's here, he's ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. When you manage money for people, you trade both ways. I have a money manager with a major investment brokerage, and they do not short anything. I have significant risk as the market breaks down, and I feel a good trader should be able to make money going up or going down in the market, and I want to know your feeling on that. Thanks a lot. Bye. Great question, and you're right. Most of the major brokerage companies out there, they're, they're long only. Uh, and when I say brokerage, I mean uh, you know the Morgan Stanleys of the world, the, the uh, UBSs, the, you know, the, the big, big names that you probably recognize, right? They're going to be long only. They there's some compliance reasons, and you know they, that's their bias. Okay, uh, there's a lot of investment banking relationships with companies. They don't want to be seen as betting against particular companies. They want to be able to raise capital for them, uh, etc. Do we short the market? Yeah, we do have strategies. Uh, our dynamic growth program will go short the market uh, in certain instances. Uh, we have our equity income plus that will sell cover calls that uh, if the market goes down, those calls become worthless, keep the premium, etc. It's one way to hedge the downside uh, as well. So there, there we, we certainly do uh, short the market or hedge the market uh, when we see fit. But great call, great question because opportunities, I say this many times, most people think opportunities are to buy something. And many times they are, right? What can you buy that will go up in value or pay you a certain uh, cash flow stream? But there's also opportunities to sell, right? Sell your home in a good market and downsize, say, if you're going into retirement. Now's a good time to do that, okay? Uh, maybe it's to sell your equities right now. Good time to do that and rebalance into a more conservative portfolio. Great time to do that. Uh, so many times opportunities are to sell and that can be also shorting stocks. Tesla's a great example. We shorted that in one of our managed accounts last year. Been a great short. Uh, and the opportunity was a very overvalued company that was having major problems uh, and had problems with really the truth. And we saw that and shorted the, shorted the stock. So there are uh, opportunities that can come from selling an asset and many times that can be shorting a particular company or the market as a whole. 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question. Uh, I think we're running up until the end. Uh, let's take a, let's, let, let me give you a quick overview of the market. That's what I want to do. Uh, what I'm seeing in the market right now is the NASDAQ is weakening. You're seeing the really what's been driving the market higher, tech stocks, starting to weaken. Facebook uh, was the first really one that really broke a longer term trend and that really hasn't changed. It's continued to break down. It's below those levels that it was at uh, after that big 20% drop in one day. Um, Netflix is another one that's having some trouble. Apple remains relatively strong. Amazon remains relatively strong. I think Amazon is close to breaking lower uh, after hitting that trillion dollar valuation. Uh, and in general, 
the markets here need to catch up to the global markets. So the global markets have sold off. You can't have a divergence that's so dramatic. China is having major problems. They're in a bear market, and that will eventually catch up to us. Uh, the we're the cleanest shirt in uh, in the world, and that's why money continues to flow uh, into the United States. However, the tech flows are starting to slow down, starting to reverse to some degree, and I think that will be that once that that breaks this uptrend line from uh, early April until you know really today. I think that's really what is going to catapult the market into a sell-off. Now, how deep is that sell-off? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? Is it a bull, mar a bear market in a 20%? It's hard to know. Uh, but certainly the second half of the year, the economy is going to slow to some degree. Is it going to slow to from you know over four in the second quarter to just three? Or is it going to go closer to the two range? And if it's a two range and the Fed continues to tighten, I think that's a bigger issue for the overall market. So hope that gives you a sense of what I think of where we are in the market cycle right now. Well, that's it for Tuesday, another Invest Talk radio show with your questions driving the discussion. Today's program will be soon posted to our podcast player library at investtalk.com. Thanks for listening and please come back tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein. I'll be back tomorrow filling in for Steve. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.